welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. So we've been in a series called The Final Week. And wasn't wonderful, last, last Sunday, Ben, uh, our community life pastor, shared with us on the undying invitation of Jesus as Jesus is getting ready to head to the cross, um, he receives a dinner invitation. He doesn't shy away from community, but he presses into community, and he shares the Passover meal with his friends. Of course, he's betrayed by Judas for a mere 30 pieces of silver. And so what we've been doing in the final week is we've been taking consecutive Sundays and walking through the last week of Jesus's life. And so the triumphal entry, which we celebrated this morning with the palms and waving of the palms and Hosanna, save us, God. Unfortunately, you've already missed it. It happened like six weeks ago. But you can check out the podcast. But this morning, we still celebrate Palm Sunday. Where we are in the life of Jesus, the last week of his life, is the crucifixion. And that's where we land this morning. So we're going to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. And we're going to be mainly in Mark, in the Gospel of Mark, but we're going to jump around a little bit from Hebrews and even in Genesis. So we're going it all the way old school this morning to the back, to the front of the book. And um, we're going to talk about blood. It's a little bit awkward, but I said it. We're going to talk about blood. There it is. And blood is a powerful thing. Blood speaks. Many of you know already, I use it all of the time in teachings, but I'm a huge fan of the Chronicles of Narnia, the series, uh, the children's book series written by C.S. Lewis. My parents read it to me when I was a boy, and we read it to our kids, the whole series, and seeing them get lost in the adventure of the book series by C.S. Lewis has just been a huge joy for, for Sarah and I. Well, there's one part in the book. I even, my parents, we lived in this old house. And I don't know how many of you guys did this when you were kids, if you were read this story. But we lived in this old, old house in Columbus. And it had this, for some reason, it, it wasn't common, but because it was an old house. But my parents' bedroom had a huge closet. And I would always wonder, I said, you know, if I push back far enough through my parents' clothes, this thing's going to open up. I really believed, I thought this thing's going to open up and I'm going to be in Narnia. I don't know how many of you played like that when you were kids too. But um, there's one scene in Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, which is really powerful and I wanted to share with you. Do you know the scene where uh, the Pevensey children are in Narnia and they begin to hear sleigh bells? And some of them are a little bit nervous because they think it's the White Witch that's coming. But it's not the White Witch, it's Father Christmas. And Father Christmas gives gifts to the Pevensey children, and he gives to the youngest child, Lucy, a cordial. And the cordial is taken from the fire flowers in the mountains. And the cordial is used to heal, um, to heal people who have been wounded in battle. And C.S. Lewis just puts it perfectly, perfectly. And that's what Jesus' blood is like. C.S. Lewis says, In this bottle, there's a cordial made of the juice of the fire flowers that grow in the mountains of the sun. If you or any of your friends are hurt, a few drops will restore them. 
And in the battle, Lucy is a little bit stingy with the cordial. Do you remember? And Aslan sort of speaks to her directly and says, Lucy, there are others who are wounded. It's not just for us, the blood of Jesus, not to cover us, but for our friends. There are others who need to experience Lucy's cordial. Lucy's cordial is like the blood of Jesus. A.W. Tozer said that the atonement in Jesus Christ's blood is perfect. There isn't anything that can be added to it. It's spotless, impeccable, flawless. It's perfect as God is perfect. You know, no good deed, nothing we could ever do to get closer to God, going to church every Sunday, giving to the poor, living your life according to some lofty goal of cultural ethics. It, it, it's all meaningless. The only way that we can get to the Father, the only way that we can, um, that we can see Him is through the way that he sees us, and that's only through the lens of the blood of Jesus, as we sang this morning. Paul writes in Galatians 3, he says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now it is evident that no man is justified before God by the law, for he who through faith is righteous shall live. But the law does not rest on faith, for he who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed be everyone who hangs on a tree, that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, upon all of us, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through him. So what's happening there? What's happening there? It's impossible to understand the sacrifice of Jesus without understanding the Old Testament um, way of sacrifice, of animal sacrifice. And there is one day a year that, this is distracting, there's one day a year called the Day of Atonement in which all of the Jewish families living in Israel would come and be atoned for their sins. And they would bring two goats. One, one goat would be flawless, spotless. A goat without blemish. And that goat would be slaughtered for the sins of the family every year. They used to say in Jerusalem that blood, on the Day of Atonement, blood would run down the streets. So many animals were being sacrificed. And once that animal was slaughtered, the priest would take the blood from that goat and wipe it on the scapegoat. You familiar with this term? We use it in political reference nowadays. The blood would be wiped on the scapegoat and then giddy up out into the wilderness as a sign that that family's sins are atoned for for the whole year. Now Israel, Jewish people do not sacrifice animals any longer. There's no temple in Jerusalem. But for those of you who are looking for a way to atone your sins, there is an electronic goat. In the di- this is the craziness of the digital age. There's like this electronic scapegoat and people actually go and confess their sins to the electronic goat. So there you have it, the craziness of the digital age. And so this is the context of the frustrated system that was animal sacrifice. Think of you 
or your family having to every year get the goat, go, go to the temple, buy the goat, the blood in the streets, everything, every single year. Are my sins paid for? I don't know. I cheated that guy on his taxes. I don't know. Well, now it is. It's a frustrated system. And this is the context into which Jesus comes. God comes in the middle of it and becomes the one sacrifice that outshines them all. It's helpful to think about it this way in reference to animal sacrifice and who Jesus is and who he represents. It's helpful to think about a candle in the middle of the night and that candle representing the law or all of the things that you needed to do in order to be right with God. And that candle is giving off some light, right? You have to light it. It burns. It gives off a little bit of light. But if you place that light in the smack dab of the afternoon sun, that light becomes irrelevant. That light is outshined by the noonday sun, and that's who Jesus is, the noonday sun. He outshines in his sacrifice at the cross. He outshines the lesser light of the law. That's what it means that Jesus went to be our sacrifice at the cross. So as I was thinking about Jesus' final week, I just had a couple of thoughts I wanted to share with you. That his blood speaks protection. In Hebrews, there's this passage that talks about him, his, his own blood, unique to him. The word in as he referred to the with the Father. My Father, my blood. The blood of Jesus is unique. It's the first and the last of its kind. There'll never be another blood of Scott or a blood of John. It's the blood of Jesus. John writes in Revelation, Do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of death and Hades, as we sang this morning, which we didn't plan. Isn't God good? His blood speaks protection. His blood speaks protection. In the first Boer War, the Boer War was a war between the English, the British, and the South Africans of the time, and a couple of warring tribes. And in the first Boer War, there was a detachment of sm- uh, a small detachment of British soldiers who were uh, pinned down behind a hill or a trench. And they knew they were defeated. They had tons of people wounded, and the South Africans had them. In those days, in war, if you held up the sign of the Red Cross, it was synonymous with surrender and that they needed medical attention. That battle is over. They didn't have the flag of the Red Cross with them that day. But what they did have is they had a white cloth. And what they did is that they took some of the blood of the wounded and made the sign of the cross on the white cloth and held it up. And the other, the enemy knew to respect the sign of the Red Cross. 
This is like the blood of Jesus in our lives. Our enemy not only must respect the blood of Christ shed on Calvary's cross, he also is helpless against it. Christ's blood represents the sacrifice of one whose death removed the guilt and condemnation of our sin and broke its hold over us. His blood speaks protection. The cross stands for Satan's fall. His blood speaks deliverance. His blood speaks deliverance. In Exodus, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Of course, this is reference to Moses leading the Israel these the Israelis out of Egyptian slavery. Jesus, we know, is the greater Moses. What plague? Out of all the plagues, there were ten that God sent upon the Egyptians to set the Jewish people free. Which one brought freedom? Which one brought deliverance? It was the blood. The angel of death passed over all of the houses in Egypt, killing the firstborn son of each house. But the Lord said he would pass over the meal that Jesus is celebrating that night that we talked about last week. The angel of death will pass over the house where he sees the blood on the doorposts. What a picture of Jesus. Is, where do you need the blood of Jesus applied to the doorposts of your life? The blood of Jesus applied to the door, doorposts. His blood speaks deliverance. Freedom happens. Freedom happens as a result of your identity with Jesus. As you identify with Jesus more and more, freedom begins to take shape in your life. You're no longer held down by the things that have once entrapped you entangled you. Freedom happens as a result of our identity with Jesus. He brings it into our life, and the vehicle is the cross. And you know, we'll read about it here in a second. But you know, there's a sign that was written above Jesus' head as he was crucified. And on those signs in Roman times, were the charges that were brought against that criminal. Of course, we know that Jesus never committed any crime. He laid his life down. He wasn't a victim, but he willingly laid his life down for us. And above Jesus' head was a sign that read, Jesus, King of the Jews. We all know that there's this sign over Jesus' head as he's being crucified. But did you know this morning that there's another sign that hangs above Jesus' head? And the sign that hangs above Jesus' head is every charge that could be brought against you, that the accuser of the brethren, that the enemy could bring at you. Over the head of Jesus is a sign that reads any sin that you've committed, any word that could be used to describe you, liar, cheat, pornographer, adulterer, overeater, whatever it is, that sin is clearly written and paid for in the blood of Jesus. 
so that there's freedom that is ushered into your life. His blood speaks deliverance. That's the other sign that's above Jesus' head. His blood speaks deliverance. His blood speaks a new beginning. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes, If anyone, if anyone, male, female, young, old, black, white, whoever, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come and the old has gone, the new is here. As you look at the doorposts of your life, where does the blood of Jesus need to be applied once and for all? Today, right now, the blood of Jesus offers a new start for you. How many of us are looking for a new start? We cheer for it in movies for the underdogs. We're like, he's gonna, he's gonna make it. We cheer for it in movies. We long for it in our hearts. How many of us need a fresh start? In fact, there is no fresh start without the blood of Jesus. In Hebrews 9, we're told that there is no forgiveness apart from the blood of Jesus. It's the only way that we can feel washed and feel clean is through the blood of Jesus. How many of you have heard the name Kevin Catfish McCarthy? Probably very few of you, myself included, before this week. Kevin Catfish McCarthy holds the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest shower. <laughs> yes, indeed. Kevin Catfish MacArthur took a 341-hour shower. That's nearly 14 days in the shower. I like showers just as much as the next person. <laughs> a 341-hour shower. But what's offered to us this morning is one look at the cross and we're washed clean of our sins. The truth is, is that it doesn't take a 341 hour shower. It takes one look at the cross. And that look at the cross, that beholding and inviting of Jesus' forgiveness into our lives is constant. So it doesn't matter if you looked at the cross 20 years ago or this morning you're just looking at the cross. Grace is a constant flow in our lives. And no matter when you came, the cross opens the door for a new day. How many of us could use a fresh start? It's the longing of every human heart. The beauty of grace is that it never runs out. It doesn't matter what you've done, what you've not done. Grace is constant. We live in a state of grace. Don't we? Oh, every head should be saying, yes, we do. Because if your head is not saying, yes, we do live in a state of grace, then you're under entitlement. And I don't want, I don't know about you, but I don't want what I deserve. I, there was a day where I used to think, man, come on, somebody owes me something. No one owes you anything. If you truly got what you think should be coming to you, if I truly got what I deserved, it would be a sad state of affairs. I know what I deserve. 
The blood of Jesus puts a no trespassing sign on the lawn of entitlement and says, God, you are not in my debt. God, you are not in my back pocket. Who am I to think that you owe me something when you gave everything for me? Everything for me. It's that old cliche, even if you were the only person on earth, he would still go to the cross for you because he loves you so much. God is not in my debt. And grace is constant, yes. The the blood speaks as a witness. Did you know that blood speaks? Blood speaks. Blood speaks as a witness. Revelation 12, 11 says that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They overcame by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And these two phrases, the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, operate in tandem, meaning that your victory, when you come through the other side, unlocks that destiny in others. That's why we share stories of a lady driving all the way from Menor to receive healing in a safe place here at Vineyard Cleveland. Because your victory unlocks destiny in others. By the way that you live, by the way that you love your kids, your life is speaking. You're prophesying to someone else who needs to hear that. Your word about the goodness of God could be the thing that saves their life because you don't know. The fact is, is that everyone is in a battle. You don't know what's going on inside someone else's heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so your testimony, your God story about how you were going through this or whatever it is that you came out on the other side of unlocks that story to be multiplicated and replicated in the lives of others. I've seen it happen. Yeah, our words carry prophetic grace for the story to be duplicated and multiplied. Blood on the doorpost. Here is a place of safety. And the question here, the blood speaking as a witness, is what difference? We're big on witness here in Cleveland, aren't we? We used to have a huge sign downtown that said witness. We're witnessing LeBron. We're also, we're also living in a city where we feel the attack of the enemy. As we see Philadelphia 76ers signs on 480 East, Philly wants LeBron. No, we say no in the name of Jesus. He's ours. LeBron's our local sports hero. You can't have him, Philly. You just won a Super Bowl. How much more do you want? Really? <laughs> what, what difference? How has the blood of Jesus made you different? Because the world's looking for a sound. They're not looking for an echo. They're looking for a sound, not an echo. Meaning, we are to be the most culturally irrelevant people 
on the face of the earth. We're not striving to be like. We, we're told in Scripture that we're to stick out like sore thumbs in the society around us. I don't want to give my vote to a dying culture. I believe that I have heaven's culture living inside of me. What difference does that make in our lives? What difference? The blood of Jesus applied to the doorposts of your life. Yeah, we we carry culture. We bring life to the city. We don't barricade against it. We engage with the city and bring hope to hopeless places. That's the whole mission of our church, to bring life to the city. We're We're not staying inside of these walls We believe that the hearts in this room are too big for these walls to contain. And so we spill out the presence that lives inside of us. You feel that as I release it, even as I say it? Because it's burning on our hearts here. We feel that we have a a place to rewrite the story of the city of Cleveland. You play a role in shaping the story of the city That's not arrogant. That's just walking in who you're called to be. It would be arrogant if you denied that calling on your life to say, oh, it's it's not me. It's all Jesus. No, you get to partner with Jesus as you're covered by the blood of Jesus to bring life, the effervescence of the Holy Spirit into the city around you, into your communities, your schools, everywhere you go. It's wonderful. Blood speaks. You know, a person could be locked up in prison for 20 years and DNA evidence could come to light and that death row inmate now is pronounced innocent because of the blood speaking. Blood speaks. Blood speaks. Some of you might be familiar with the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel bring sacrifices. Cain's Sacrifice is not accepted. Abel's sacrifice is accepted. Cain gets mad. Cain gets jealous. Slaughters his brother Abel. Deceives him out. Into the, he said, let's come, come out to the field. And then he murders Abel. The fir- oh, not yet. Not yet. Five more minutes. Promise. Well. <laughs> You guys are wonderful. You have so much grace for me. Have I told you that, that you're wonderful to preach to? That you guys are wonderful to worship with? Vineyard Cleveland, it's not like pulling teeth. I see, I'm not, I don't get looks like, where are you? I don't feel like you're commuting. I don't know if you're just <laughs> obliging me or that you're really getting it. But you're wonderful. You're wonderful. Sometimes it just helps hearing your pastor say that you're wonderful. <laughs> Blood speaks. So, so Cain murders Abel, the first murder. And in Genesis, we read the Lord speaking to Cain as the Lord gives Cain a mark, something of the fall in this. The Lord said, What have you done? What have you done? Cain, listen, your, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Abel's blood is crying. I mean, how powerful is this verse? Blood speaks. 
Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. What does the blood of Abel cry for? And then in Hebrews 12, 24, we read this. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Isn't that amazing? Break this down for a second. You know that people still follow the way of Cain every day. We try through self-improvement. We try through technology, through self-actualization. But the truth is, is that we can only be washed. We can only be washed. Feelings are occupied with self, but faith is occupied with God. Meaning that God doesn't deal with Cain according to what Cain felt or thought. He deals with him on an account of what the blood of Abel's, uh, what the blood of Abel said to him. So Cain, meaning Cain could have been like, you know, I feel bad for this sin. I murdered my brother. Can you take it easy on me, God? I feel repentant. And the Lord's like, I hear you, but your, your brother's blood is speaking from the ground. And somehow in that, Abel's blood's cry is louder than what Cain feels. And so God deals with Cain according to what Abel's blood says. Okay? What does the blood of Abel cry The blood of Abel is crying out, revenge, justice, one life for one life. This isn't fair. I brought a sacrifice and it was pleasing and he brought a sacrifice and it was unacceptable and I get killed for it? Justice, judgment, revenge, one life. Take his life. He took mine is what the blood of Abel is crying up to God. And then we read in Hebrews that Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Can you hear the blood of Jesus as it drops on the mercy seat? The blood of Jesus speaks a better word. What does the blood of Jesus speak? Forgiveness drop acceptance drop, adoption drop, peace drop, hope drop, freedom drop, eternal life. The blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Amen. Amen. And that's the gospel that you no longer have to follow the way of Cain. So that we sing with our lives, with glad hearts, the hymn of Isaac Watts, where he says, blood has a voice to pierce the skies. Revenge, the blood of Abel cries, but the dear stream when Christ was slain speaks peace as loud from every vein. That's the ticket. And as we end... I wanted to close with this. 
You say, that's really great. Technology can't save us. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to read us this. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to take notes if you don't want. You don't have to. All you have to do in this moment is receive. I wanted to read the story. That's what we're doing here. We're just retelling the story. So you might want to close your eyes. You might want to open your hands. But just receive. This is the story. I'm going to read from the message version from Mark 15. Here's the story. At dawn's first light. Here's the story of hope. At dawn's first light. (laughs) For those of you who are struggling to receive forgiveness, who are deep in depression, let the story, please, I beg you, let the story wash over you. This is truth. This isn't Eben's opinion. This is scripture. At dawn's first light, the high priests and the religious leaders and scholars arranged a conference with the entire Jewish council. After tying Jesus securely, they took him out and presented him to Pilate. Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered, if you say so. The priests let loose a barrage of accusations. Pilate asked again, aren't you going to answer anything? That's quite a list of accusations. Still, he had nothing to say. Pilate was impressed, really impressed. It was a custom at the feast to release one prisoner, anyone the people asks for. There was one prisoner prisoner called Barabbas locked up with the insurrectionists who had committed murder during the uprising against Rome. As the crowd came up and began to present its petition for him to release a prisoner, Pilate anticipated them. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews to you? Pilate knew by this time that it was through sheer spite that the high priest had turned Jesus over to him. But the high priest by then had worked up the crowd to ask for the release of Barabbas. Pilate came back, so what do I do with this man you call king of the Jews? They yelled, nail him to a cross. Pilate objected, but for what crime? But they yelled all the louder, nail him to the cross. Pilate gave the crowd what it wanted set Barabbas free and turned Jesus over for whipping and crucifixion. The soldiers took Jesus into the palace called Praetorium and called together the entire brigade. They dressed him up in purple and put a crown plated from a thorn bush on his head. They began their mockery. Bravo, king of the Jews. They banged on his head with a club. They spit on him and knelt down in mock worship. After they had their fun, they took off the purple cape and put his own clothes back on him. Then they marched out to nail him to the cross. Then there was a man walking by coming from work, Simon from Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. They made him carry Jesus' cross. The soldiers brought Jesus to Golgotha, meaning Skull Hill. They offered him a mild painkiller, wine mixed with myrrh but he didn't take it. And they nailed him to the cross. 
They divided up his clothes and threw dice to see who would get them. They nailed him up at nine o'clock in the morning. The charge against him, the king of the Jews, was printed on a poster. Along with him, they crucified two criminals, one at his right and other to his left. People passing along the road jeered, shaking their heads in mock lament. You brag that you could tear down the temple and then rebuild it in three days. So show us your stuff. Save yourself. If you're really God's son, come down from the cross. The high priests, along with the religion scholars, were right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time poking fun at him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Messiah, is he king of Israel? Then let him climb down from that cross. We'll all become believers then. Even the men crucified alongside him joined in the mockery. At noon, the sky became extremely dark. The darkness lasted for three hours. At three o'clock, Jesus groaned out of the depths, crying loudly, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Some of the bystanders who heard him said, listen, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran off, soaked a sponge in sour wine, put it on a stick and gave it to him to drink, saying, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. But Jesus, with a loud cry, gave his last breath. At that moment, The temple curtain ripped right down the middle. When the Roman captain standing guard in front of him saw that he had quit breathing, he said, this has to be the Son of God. blood of Jesus given for you and for me so that he could become Messiah in our lives (laughs) the conquering Messiah Lord you sacrificed your life You conquered death without even a shield, without a sword. You conquered. And yet sometimes I put up defenses to become unconquerable. Would you come and tear down walls in folks' hearts? Come, Holy Spirit. Just invite the Holy Spirit. Would you join me in standing? For some... This morning, we're going through uh, pain, pain of loss, pain of sickness of a loved one. People are coming from all different places in the map. But we want to create a space where you can receive healing, where you can receive the washing 
I know it sounds weird and churchy, but I, don't, I just don't know how else to say it. The washing of the blood of Jesus over our lives. In those places of pain, those places of loss, those places of um, insecurity that Jesus would come, that you'd feel the Holy Spirit wash over you. And for others, this is, this is the message. Maybe you've come to church your whole life. Maybe, maybe this is your first time here this morning. I, I want to invite you to the cross. I want to invite you to come. You have access. That curtain that was torn, it wasn't like a shower curtain. Josephus says that that curtain was like feet thick. And the Lord splits it as Jesus dies on the cross, representing from the top to the bottom, representing that we have access to God. There's nothing that you can do or not do. His smile, his favor is here for you to receive. I want to invite you to come to the cross. What does that look like? You just pray with me. Why don't we pray? And, and you just say in your heart, would you come to the cross? Would you say, Jesus, I'm tired of doing life on my own. I need to be rescued. I need to be saved. I need to experience the blood of Jesus on the doorposts of my life. I believe you are. You just say to Jesus, say to God, I believe you are who you said you are. That you did die. On a, you were a real person and you died on a cross to forgive my sins. And all of the things that were done against me and all of the things that I've done to others, I believe are written on a placard above your head, paid for by your death. You tell that to Jesus. And then you say, come inside of me. I don't want religion. I want the presence of God.